If you're affected by anything you hear on this podcast, get in touch via manblues at gmx.com or at manbluesuk on Twitter. We're not qualified to help, but we can listen. Please don't suffer in silence. Hi, I'm Leon Deggs, and you're listening to Man Blues. On this week's podcast, I'm joined by a special guest. So, I've known Red for over 12 years now, and it was one of those bromances from the get-go. We literally just hit it off. Despite Red having lived in different countries over the years, we've managed to stay in touch and even visited each other where possible. Red is one of the people I had in mind when I came up with the concept for the Man Blues podcast. So let's dive straight in and hear what we had to say. What do you think Man Blues is? I mean, you've listened to the episodes of the podcast, which is very kind of you to be supportive. What do you think it is? I mean, silence is beautiful. Let's have as much silence as we can, because, you know, I mean, even if we were to consider this to be a radio show and there was all those classic gags about, you know, um, what was it, uh, silence is a crime, you know, but uh, anyway. (laughs) What do I think Man Blues is? It's a recognition, I suppose, of depression or any form of mental health in adult males that we just ignore as a society. Yeah, okay. Um, I think that's pretty much where I came from when I came up with the idea for it because I think there's an awful lot of I don't know. You see, this is this is why one of the, one of the other questions we'll come on to later on is um, whether it's a generational thing and whether you know, sort of like our parents, you know, our fathers would say all the you know horribly stereotypical things about you know what it is, you know, kind of like dealing with your emotions and so on. Um, I think my son and perhaps our son's generations they might be more comfortable talking about problems because of what we've done and we've engendered in them that we've taught them that it's okay to talk I don't remember what year it was I imagine it was probably 2012 um, when I was sat around in your house until about 3.30 in the morning while you were trying to sell your car because you were about to move to a new country that was when I think our relationship changed and I think it's changed to a point where now because we know those deeply intimate secrets about each other that we're at a position where we can, if we wanted to, say the absolute worst possible thing to each other to make us feel really terrible. But we also know that if we were to say those things that make us both feel really terrible, we know that we can come out of it the other side of it because we both know where we are, if you understand what I'm getting at. Yeah, I do. And I think it's uh, the recognition of what each of us has gone through uh, in our lives. Mm. And there, there are similarities there. And I think that we've, we've understood each other. And also, the other thing as well, we know where our lines are, right? Yeah. Lines in the sand. And I think that's important recognition in a friendship, mm. is to know where, you know, friendship can go too far and you know where that is. Yeah, it's okay to joke about that, but not about that. Precisely, yeah. Mm. And I think there's a... There's an element of um, sort of the conversations that sometimes you and I have because we know these things about each other for a long time. I think I think we kind of I think we've got over that hump, so to speak. But for a long time, there was um, I felt there was a little bit of joking one-upmanship between us, where you knew um, the sort of the mental health things I'd got from the relationship with my mother, for instance, um, and I knew the mental health issues you had from the relationship with your mother, for instance. Um, but we did have this whole thing about, um, you know, you'd sometimes mention the very the very things that my mother would mention, but I kept responding back with, nice try, mate, but it's just not as bad as what my mum does, so next. Um, so, of course, the, you know, it, it, it's that level of comfort, I think, with understanding each other's pain, really. The recognition of each other's discomfort and upbringing in certain manners. Mm-hmm. Yes, I agree with that. You know, you and I, we talked we talked at length on that one night, and um, as I say, I, I don't remember how we got, because th- this is the problem with me, I, I, I've got a pretty good memory about things that I've 
things that I want to remember, it seems. I don't remember meeting you, although you say apparently you remember meeting me, which is a very typical story I've had in my life. Um, I don't remember how the, the, the two of us, like I said, I don't remember how we ended up uh, sort of hanging out with each other, although I do fixedly remember that night in your house um, when we were just... I mean, it, 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 I felt really comfortable. It felt like it was a good, it was a good place to talk. And I think the important thing is that you were opening up at the same time as I was. So it wasn't just a case of I was sitting there listening to you tell me your problems, and you weren't sitting there listening to me tell me tell you my problems. It was mutual, and I think that's where I that's why I felt comfortable with it, and that's why I was there till half four in the morning, whatever it was. It's funny, I always remember uh, situations where I meet people, um, people who make a difference in my life. It's just, I don't know how that happens, but I think about it and I'm like, oh yeah, I remember exactly the scenario where I first met you. Um, and it was in the office. You walked in the room with someone else and you're joking with another person in the room. Mm-hmm. And then you clocked that I was in and I, it was only my first week in, and then you laughed over and called me sick note. I, there's no defending that. I mean, I called you that because um, you'd, you'd been off sick for half the afternoon. I think it was. You were. You were poorly, That's great. You were poorly for half a day, or whatever. And you came back in the next day, and I jokingly said, "Oh yeah, here's sick note," because I knew you'd gone off sick. But no, I, that's something that's always been a problem of mine. I've never, re- never really remembered where I've met people, and it, I feel guilty about it. And I know it's probably a little bit irrational, but I do feel guilty about it because there's a part of me that thinks. You should be important enough to me to remember when I met you. But... So, do you have any other men that you talk to besides me? Probably not as much as yourself. Um, I think there's always that relationship has been built over time, where we both understand each other and we both come from the same kind of background. So it's easier to share stories. Mm. When you move from one country to another country, you kind of don't have that same background cultural thing. Right. So, yeah, and a lot of men, generally speaking, or people, I'm not even going to say men, I'm going to say people, um, have a real problem understanding mental health. And that's something I've, you know, learned myself over the last couple of years, how important that is, not just to men, but women as well. Mm. And I think for the longest time, men have been immune to mental stress. I mean, you look at the word um, hysterectomy, it came from hysteria. That's what women would get because they had hysteria. Mm. Am I right with that? I can do some quick googling if you like. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I do, I do believe that's where the term came from. Mm. Um, but I don't believe any man. Um, I don't think mental health has been something that's been focused on men. I think it's the appreciation is it's oh, it doesn't affect a man. Just grow up and you comment this on a previous podcast. Get over yourself. Yeah. You know, and that's a society we live in that I've I've grown up in, and it's when you do get a bad mental health episode, it can be really hard on you mm. because you don't know what is coming. Right. Because I know that you you were telling me you have um, anxiety issues. I believe I also have anxiety issues, but not to this not to the level of um, sort of or not to the degree that you were explaining you have them. Because I mean you. Um, when you're saying something like you, you, you have panic attacks and things like that. I think everybody has a certain level of anxiety or mental distress in their life. Mm. If, they're, if they don't, they're, they have other issues, whether they're bipolar or manic depressive. You know, I think everybody has it. Mm. Um, yours is stress around, you know, not being on time for things. Mine is a panic of a situation that's unknown. I mean, the recognition of that, I... You must be faced with that a lot then. Yeah, in everyday life you see it, you come across that a lot, yeah. And I think it's coping mechanisms you need to build around yourself and around your world. So you are, you're in constant battle with your anxiety then? I think we all are in constant battle to keep an equilibrium in our lives. Uh, Mine is uh, certainly a lot better. I mean, lockdown was bad for a lot of people and, you know, there's no getting around that. But for me, it was one of the best things that could ever happen because I'm so much more relaxed, I'm getting so much better sleep because I'm not stressing about the clock. I'm not worried about getting there. Yet, I still put myself in those little scenarios. For example, this weekend coming up, a friend of mine's coming to visit um, because we're gonna go and see a show on Friday night. 
Now already I'm panicking, thinking, well, what time's it going to get here? I've not got Friday off work, and it, I can feel it mounting. And it's it's Sunday night. I'm currently recording this on Sunday night, and I've got this anxiety already, sort of base level of anxiety. If you think of it like um like a little ocean of indigestion, it's just it's just a tiny little ocean of indigestion. But at some point by Friday, you know, I'll be getting heartburn, burps, and all kinds of things. It's, you know, it's kind of like as a natural effect to the outcome of me getting nervous about being to the, getting to the show on time. So when you're going into these situations where you're faced with these this unknown, that's got to be a, it's got to be an everyday occurrence, hasn't it? Absolutely, will be. Yeah, and you have to recognise how it manifests in your body. Um, there are always telltale signs. You just mentioned it bubbles up from down and moves up your body. For me, it's it's an inflamed gut, so I can feel my stomach just getting larger, and it's it's I suppose it's a stress mechanism. My body telling me, hey, something's going on here, because I don't think even you realise it, but you're having symptoms of this stress way before you recognise it. Oh no, I'm convinced I am. And the problem you've got there is you don't know how to address or recognise that early enough to put a stop to it. No, exactly. And I find it interesting because sometimes I let my mind wander into um, sort of hopeful scenarios. And um, I like to imagine that... It's going to sound really vulnerable, and I do apologise, but I like to imagine that, you know, I've got I've got weight issues. We've talked about this in one of the episodes. I do have these weight issues. Um, and when you hear about somebody saying, oh, it's a, it's a problem with the gland, you go, oh, right, okay, I'll bet you I've got that. I bet you I've got it. So you go to the doctor, you say, I think I've got the gland thing that makes me overweight. And they go, no, you haven't. Oh. And then someone else says, oh, we found this wonder pill that does this, that, and the other. They go, okay, great, 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 great. Let me try the wonder pill. Makes no difference. And I just think when it comes down to things like um, you know, my anxiety or even you know, this tired all the time that they refer to in GP surgeries up and down the country, um, which is you know people going, I'm just so tired. Um, and I just think you know, there'll just be that one thing that I won't even know is a problem in my life. And I'll just take that one tablet at that one point and I'll just go, oh, that was it that's what it was that's what's been missing all these years i mean i've made um, gallows humor is a massive massive thing in my life i do like i do like to laugh a lot about dark things because i think it lightens the whole mood about the issue with it and my imagination just runs wild and basically says do you know what you're gonna you're gonna have a lingering death and mine's gonna be click lights off done you know, in that, in that really silly way of just like, there isn't any, there isn't going to be any drawn out period of being in hospital, being on a drip, trying to recover and then dying. No, it's going to be click, bang, dead. Well, that's very morbid and nice. You know, mortality is quite a big thing as well. I mean, I, I don't, I'm not very morbid about mortality. I am every now and again letting thoughts wander through my brain where I think I'm going to be dead soon. There's not a lot of my life left. Chances are I've had more life and I've yet to come. And that's the definition of midlife. The recognition that you have had more of your life than you've got left. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to make it to 96, there's no chance. Well, again, time, perceived time is that, you know, when you're a kid, that time is very long because you're learning a lot. If you look back in your childhood, you're like, that's a very long time. Yet your 20s just seem to fly by. Your 30s are just like, wow, that was so quick. The 30s are the years that you are forming a routine or a family and time just flies by you know and now here I am early 40s and I know before I turn around it's going to be 50 and I think with your realization I mean you touched on a couple of things there um always always connected right so let me explain what I mean by that um working from home this is something that was a good thing from covid is that we all got to work from home but are we working from home or are we living at work And I think that's the problem we've had with COVID is that we're always connected, even more than we were before. We've seen the onslaught of all these video messaging platforms, whether that be Teams or whatever. (laughs) What we're using. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Discord. Never heard of it before. And then suddenly I'm on Discord. Oh, cool. This is cool. But I think it's that always connected bit. And I was speaking to my father about this um, this mental health issue a couple of uh, months ago. And I said, well, when you were in your early 40s, do you think you had this level of anxiety? And he was like, well, no. And I'm like, but why am I having it? The world is different now. And I'm, I, I paused for a minute. What does he mean the world is different? The world is still spinning. 
same people are on it, same governments, what does he mean different? So then I asked him, I was like, I don't understand what you mean by different. Surely it's a, something more than just being different. And he said, well, in a way, you're always connected. You have got all your messenger applications, your life and work are on your phone. You can't get away from it. When I finished work at four o'clock on, you know, Friday afternoon, I didn't know anything till Monday. This is not the life you guys live. And I think the lack of sleep that we're actually getting as a society is also a really bad thing as well for mental health. Because as we sleep, our brain repairs itself. And I don't think with the always-on lifestyle that we have, we get sufficient rest. No, that's true. I mean, there was an argument I read some years ago where they said that um, they believe that the invention of uh, the candle was what first affected our ability to get the correct sleep because we would have just had our sleep pattern matched to the daylight outside. So when it starts going dark, you think, well, it's dark now. I've got no light in the cave. Go to sleep. And then you wake up when it's light again. So, you know, Captain Caveman, he was getting way more sleep than we were getting. But we do have that blue light issue where we've got, the, you know, the, from the mobile phone screens and from the tablets and things like that. Um, I've recently made a change that I'm quite pleased with, but it's the first step in many steps I think but I've recently made a change to my bedtime routine which is um, I usually watch YouTube videos because you know just like everybody else I just I just crave something small and something brief and I've got these uh, I found this thing that does it they do like 11 12 minute videos which are perfect for while you're on the ablutions you know but then what I found is I was picking the tablet up and I was walking into the bedroom with it and then I was laying in bed and I was watching two or three more right that's not good so I thought right well I'm gonna change that now I'm going to change it from watching the video. So when I come out of the bathroom, tablet closed, plug it in, charge it up for the night. But then I reach out for the Kindle. But of course, the problem is with a book, it can also be very engaging for the brain because you're intrigued by the story. You keep wanting to read more. So I'm finding I'm lying there in bed and I'm going to read. And because I'm holding it in my right hand and that's where the page next is, and just keep tapping it with the thumb every now and again and tap and a tap and a tap and a tap. And then I see a bit that there's a slightly larger gap in the paragraph close bed but that can be another 40 minutes of reading that's gone and I do sort of I understand what you mean when you say about you know we we do have this always connected thing about I mean I I, I did like what you just said there saying are we, are we um what was it working from home or living at work Um, I think that's a really interesting thing but this is something you've commented on about me over the years is that when I clock off I'm clocked off I'm not still connected and um, I think I was telling you just the other day in fact so my cell phone goes while I'm working and it's some recruitment agency that's trying to ask me about something for professional stuff and I was like sorry how have you got this number this is my private mobile number this is not connected to my work account in any way how have you got this and I was angry with them I said no delete this stuff because this phone that I have is mine and that's all so nothing from work comes through on this <laughs> I do find that quite telling, Red, that just as I'm talking about that, you looked at your um, little Apple Watch there and you tapped a message away while I was talking. I mean, I don't even want to discuss how rude that is. <laughs> <laughs> but it proves your point. I mean, it's just it, absolutely it, it, proves your point. My phone it, is on total silence. It's on, but it's on silence. I don't know if I'm getting messages. I've got no idea. I think that is very telling because my phone is on silent and down here. Um, and before we started recording is I put my watch on silent as well but then it vibrated and I'm like what is that and you're right it was a message about work Mm. so I just tapped it to to push it away I could have ignored it Mm. why didn't I ignore it always on yeah I think I think you might be onto something with that I genuinely do Um, And, and again why couldn't I ignore that buzz and that's something I'm struggling with right now and and Something I actually recognize increases my anxiety is this always on, always connected. Now, I just had a message from work. I just, I did tap to stop the buzzing, but why would it come to my watch on a Sunday afternoon? Why does it come to your watch at all? This is one thing I've said about you that I've, um, it's one of the things where I think you do things wrong. Um, we, We talked about this back in 2012 as well, that you have an inability to say no. I have to admit, I have used it to my benefit on a couple of occasions, like saying, hey, Red, would you like to come on the podcast? (coughs) (laughs) Knowing that you wouldn't say no. (laughs) In fairness, I was really interested in exploring the podcast. So yeah, this wasn't something that I would have said no to. And I think really 
with the inability to say no is something like you have about being late. Somehow you would be chastised if you turn up late. Sometimes I would be chastised if I say no. So there are similarities there. I wonder if it's more to do with because I don't have an issue saying no to people who need help, uh, and that you know, to the point where I mean I I do have an IT background, not not to the sort of technical level of yours, but I do have an IT background. But when I used to go to parties when I was younger. And people asked what I did. If I said IT, I would find that I would lose my evening because they would say to me, oh, can you have a look at my computer and fix something for me? So, well, no, I've not been invited around for that. You've literally just met me 10 minutes ago and now you want me to fix your computer. Um, so then I learned very quickly to start telling people, oh, you know, I, I do something different. And they go, oh, you're in computers. No, I'm not. I don't mind helping people. I haven't got an issue with it. Don't misunderstand. But it's that thing of it's not my obligation to when I go when I get invited round to a friend's house and there's somebody else there, and then that somebody else is like, oh, I've got a problem with my mobile. Can you ever look at it? No. So. And that's something that I really <coughs> annoys me in in people. We call it here in North America um, the truck syndrome. So if if you have a truck, you're everybody's friend. Because everybody needs to know someone with a truck, because you never know when you're going to need to move some furniture. And I think really when you have a skill set which is usable to some people, um, especially IT, because everything runs on IT nowadays, mm. you be- suddenly become someone's friend and a really good friend, not because of who you are, but what you can do. And over the years, I've really had a barrier up for people like that. And I think that's one thing you asked me: why did you and I strike up uh, a brilliant friendship and I think it's down to those principles if I look at my closest network of friends that I have right now none of them have ever asked me a computer question and they're not generally computer people they just don't and one example was a friend of mine here in North America said to me hey I um, I'm gonna be late so can you give me like 10 minutes or 20 minutes and then come and pick me up because we were going out together and I was like yeah sure no problem I said is everything okay oh I'm just waiting for a delivery he said I'm like alright okay cool no problem so then you know 20 minutes went by so I swung around to his house and picked him up and was like everything alright yeah yeah my, my new laptop just arrived I'm like oh what happened he says my old computer was just getting really slow um, and I just decided, you know, now's the time just to buy another one. That's the first time I ever heard of it. Mm. And all I heard was a solution. And I'm like, that's nice. He knows I'm in computing, but he never asked me any questions about IT. And I think what, as I meet people, I can tell almost instantly if they have, you know, those ulterior motives. Yeah. Um, or non-genuine, shall we say. Yeah, but I think that's just, I mean, I don't want to be sort of down on people, but I think it's quite normal that that's what people will do, because I have, over the years, asked you IT and computer questions, but every time I've done it, there's been that level of guilt, because I know that I'm adding to your problems. And I think if I still have a friendship with someone, they already know that if there was something technical, they may just go past me and try and figure it out themselves. Yeah, Unless well, they wanted some direction, which is perfectly acceptable, right? Mm. Well, I'm I'm a, I'm a big believer in um, there has to be a, there has to be a solution out there because if you know it, then you can you can find it. And a lot of the time, it's literally just asking the question the correct way, using the correct words to ask the correct question. That's all it is. Um, and that that doesn't just apply to Google; that applies to everything. But anyway, just 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 bringing us back on track. <laughs> um, we, we, we were talking about um, whether you have any other men that you talk to about problems that you're facing and you sort of said that, you know, maybe not so much. Um, but do you, do you think that if you were to approach anyone else to try to talk about your problems that you might be then judged by them? I don't think so. But you have to have a level of comfort with someone before you opened up about mental health issues because we all treat mental health very personally. Well, it is a very personal thing, isn't it? Um, it can be very particular to one person. Um, and I think that the thing is, I when I when I was writing these questions to ask of a, of a podcast guest, that question came from, there's a chap I've known since I was 16. 
we were very good friends. We used to hang out a lot. We used to go drinking a lot when we were young men and stuff. And we did loads of things together. And then very recently, I bumped into him when we went on holiday and things like that. I hadn't seen him for years, but when we met each other again, it was like no years had passed. Really solid friend. Known him for a long time. He's the last person I would speak to about any mental health issues. And I think I don't. that's quite telling. It is, but I don't think everybody can understand mental health. I think if you started talking to me about mental health maybe five or six years ago, I may have been on the, the fence of saying, oh, get over yourself. Really? Yeah. I've been talking about this podcast, and I've been saying that the phrase that is not allowed, that you very nearly used twice, um, you said grow up, but the phrase that I'm kind of not allowing anyone to use and there will be a gong that appears in any podcast episode is man up. Right? So if someone tells you to man up, that I is... don't like that word. No, I don't. I can't. I, I don't. I can't. I can't use that word because, as well as just being a complete unappreciation of what's going on, it's also quite sexist. <laughs> yeah, sex. The sexism is the least of the problems with that phrase. <laughs> it's everything else that's surrounding that phrase. You know, the whole thing about that if you just tell somebody to man up and just be a man about it, that all the problems will disappear. But this, this guy that I'm referring to, he's one of those people where if I were to say to him, um, you know, I'm having these issues with my weight, I've got this problem about my mum dying, I'm, you know, I'm thinking about this, you just go, oh, pff, move on, grow up, man up, get over you. So let, let me ask you a question about this individual. Do you believe this individual to have any mental issues? Probably, yeah. So... Because we all have them. We've all got our anxiety. Right. We've all got our problems. Because... The problems might not be visible to him, and he yeah. may be thinking, but if you know what, it's probably not. He's probably got a deep-rooted problem that he cannot express. No, that's true. So, what does being a man then mean to you? Um, I don't agree with stereotypical, this is a woman's role, this is a man's role. I'm the one who stays at home in my relationship, and my wife is the one that goes out to work. What does being a man mean to you? I'll tell you, I have a 15-year-old boy, and I hope when he is in his 20s or later in life, the status of being a man will be equal to that of being a woman. And don't kid yourself for one second that we're there now. We are not. No. Women are drastically underpaid compared to males. There's mm. still way too much male-dominated boardrooms and senior leadership. It's un it's unheard of to have an IT uh, woman, which I think is horrific. Mm. And and nobody can say to me, it's only a man's job. It's not. And I hope in the next 10 years or so, that this is something as a society we can rectify. We need more women in the roles they're not in right now. And I hope that when my son is in his 20s, what being a man is, is being equal to a woman. Yeah, that would be. I mean, that's that's the thing. It'd be good if we could get there. But um, I mean, it's nice that you think it could happen in in, in certainly your son's lifetime. I, I, I'm not so sure we can see it though, because a lot of people don't like change. And you know, I mean, my employer, they are um, they are definitely an equal employer because the men and the women are paid the same. That I can say, you know, hand on heart. I know that that happens, but I'm aware that in the private sector there is this 75% discrepancy. Um, and I don't understand why. I, I genuinely don't see why. Because certainly in an IT role or a technical role, there's no reason why a woman should be paid 75% of what a man is paid because it's the same skill set. And I genuinely feel displaced from other men because I'm not like them. And when I see all these guys who've got their, you know, the, the, the referring back to the colleague that you remember me standing next to when I called you sick note, that guy lived that dream. He had the, the season ticket for the football match. He would go there every second weekend. Whereas for me, I know you've been the same because, you know, we were friends at the time when our kids were much younger. At the time, you and I both felt guilty. I, I was guilty that time I was sat around in your house. I felt guilty that my wife was at home with our son on her own while I was at your house. But I know that you had that exact same thing when you were elsewhere with someone else. I still carry that guilt every time I'm away from the home. Mm. I have a massive anxiety about not being home and that's a weird thing to explain 
we travel nowadays and we understand that things are not what they used to be and meaning flights can be cancelled travel arrangements can be changed so i found myself from the recent vacation but we were abroad and our holiday was not cut short but made longer by a whole week and i just remember that last week that additional week i'm thinking to myself geez i could be home now mm. i could be home and supporting what's going on at home there's a massive anxiety building up in my body when I'm away from home. Yeah. And I just want to get back. And I think you hit it on the head there. It's about being there for everyone else yeah. in your family. Mm. It's that level of guilt when you're away. Yeah, exactly. But the other thing is as well is that this, with the same token of saying something like that, uh, my wife then becomes aware of the fact that I've not been anywhere, not done anything with friends. I mean, you know, you, you and I, we're, we're part of this um, whiskey group that I think is next saturday we've got we've got a whiskey chat which is basically it's just online we just sit in our houses again always on but we sit in our houses and and we we, we sort of collectively drink whiskey together and just have a bit of a chat and a bit of a catch-up i have that pang of guilt it's always there because she'll say to me uh, sort of like saturday afternoon um what are your plans this evening do we want to sit down and get some takeaway of and we can sit and watch a film and I go yeah i'd love to but nine o'clock about the whiskey chat thing downbeat guilty I've got this thing that's taking me away from you. But at the same time, she'll just say to me, oh, that's brilliant. Yeah, fantastic. You've not spoken to the guys in a while, have you? No, do it. It's really good. But that's my point is that it's something that's in my calendar and I don't have a lot in my calendar. And I've not yet got to a point, and it's been a while, but I've not yet got to a point where I think, oh, I've got that thing tonight. I've not got that negativity about the meeting. The negativity I've got about it is, oh, I'm not going to be able to be there with my wife. I'm not going to be able to be there with my family. That's the negativity I get from it. I think that's one of the big contributing factors to me having these kind of man blues about stuff. You know, there's a stereotype of being a good father, there's a stereotype of being a good husband, there's a stereotype of being a good man. And all of those things about being good this, good that and good the other, they all rely on you doing something for other people. But there's nothing in there that says take time for yourself, which is one of the massive, massive factors that helps with mental health. That you've got to take time for yourself and I feel guilty doing it every time I do. I think you and I suffer from the same thing there where we really have that worry of not being there when we're needed. Yeah. And we feel guilty when it's something we want to do. Um, the whiskey chat for example that we have every four weeks is a really interesting uh, collaboration of minds and we were thousands of miles apart from each other, mm. which makes it even more interesting. I have no problem with that. I still don't look at it and think, oh, that's in my calendar. Oh, no. I still enjoy it a lot. Mm. But you're right. It takes me away from family life, and that's that's important for me because I'm not like that person who wanted to spend all day at the pub and going to football matches. Because yeah, ironically, ironically, the, the thing that you're doing there with your you're coming on because once a month you're living that life of that person who goes to the to the soccer and you know in, in the afternoon. Because if you come on that chat at 3 p.m. and you start drinking the whiskey, and then when you when we're finished, let's say it takes uh, I don't know how long we've been, but some some of them have been four hours. So by the time you finish at 7 p.m you've had enough whiskey that that's your evening done you're not then gonna go and you know your wife's not gonna say right shall we go out for a meal now you're like no 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 red needs his sleep <laughs> yeah but also you are home mm. if something does go down um the world changed as soon as we got this covid and and, and everyone's happy and accepting and used to working from home and socializing from home mm. one thing i want to pick up on though as you mentioned about me time mm. and I think that's really important you have a room in your house which is dedicated to me time mm. that's your working environment and a hard switch and it's your play environment but my point is that we all need that place for us to just disconnect for me it's this room down here right I've got a way of disconnecting from the world mm. and disconnecting from the family but knowing they're not too far away mm. and I think that's important to mental health I didn't have this breakaway space. So, man blues. It's important to recognize it mm. and have some way to recover, whether that be meditation or alone time or just going out for a walk by yourself. Mm. I think men in general need time to, to switch off yeah. and be more relaxed. Yeah. No, I agree with that. I mean, like in, in our house, uh, I, was, I was saying to my wife just the other day, 
Um, one of the toughest times for me was when my son was sort of zero to well, maybe five, six, something like that. Um, I'd come in from work and I was the focus of their attention for the rest of the evening. It was always daddy this, honey this, daddy this, honey this, daddy this, honey this, and just all night. And it was relentless. Um, and I never really realised for quite the longest time just how much of a drain on my emotion that was to the point where um, I think one day I was uh, I was in the bathroom and um, I just sort of, I didn't even think about it, it just happened naturally I just pushed the door shut with my hand, my hand was on the handle and I just click, turned the lock and during that time my wife did indeed knock on the bathroom door and try to open it and come in and I was like, sorry I've locked it but I'm, I can't reach the lock so I came out of the bathroom and then we had a whole discussion about why did I lock the door? And I said, well, ironically, I locked the door because I wanted some alone time and guess what I didn't get? It was it was quite, I don't know, until such time as you have like an epiphany like that where you have that realisation, I don't think there's any kind of understanding that you're actually going through anything until you have that. You, know, you have to have the angels singing to you to, to for you to realise it. So I think it's, uh, I think, you know, me time and alone space is definitely an important thing, but... I think there can be too much of it. It also depends what you're doing that me time. I mean, I, f- I feel a little bit guilty sometimes if I have um, if I have this alone time and um, I'm not productive. I just sit there playing solitaire on the computer or something. But then I think, well, it's just me switching off. So what does it matter if I'm productive or not? Switching off is important. That was something I discovered um, through the COVID years. <laughs> I did some I did some therapy and and. You know when you do therapy, and one thing about therapy is men are not very good at talking about therapy, but therapy is an important thing. And one of the things I took away from therapy was they said during the day you should have a space in your house if you feel that you're going to have a panic attack or you're going to have any mental thing you can't control, go into the space, sit down in the space and block out all external stimuli so for the first little bit i took that as it was and i actually i have a small walk-in wardrobe and i just put a chair in there (laughs) sorry (laughs) i was imagining you were going to talk about the room you sat in but no you've got a special little um, panic room that you've got in the back of your walk-in wardrobe So I'm not laughing it. at it to belittle it either. I'm laughing at no. it because just the mere idea that a guy who's six foot tall is squeezing himself into a wardrobe. <laughs> oh. And this is why men can't talk to men because as soon as you open up about something, they laugh at you. And I do apologize. <laughs> anyway, so I took that literally and I put a chair in this walk, small walk-in wardrobe. And... The premise around it was to have a space in your in your house that didn't have the external stimuli and was a place you wouldn't normally sit in. So if you ever felt the anxiety building up or a panic attack coming on, you would go into that room for no more than five minutes and you'd sit in there and you would do a form of meditation where you clear your mind and you try and focus on nothing. Now, I took that literally. I'd love to be able to turn chair. my brain off like that I can't turn my brain off I've, there's a permanent jukebox going around in my head honestly if I if someone said to me right you know when you see those people saying so just sit there and empty your mind and I sit there and empty my mind and I bum, bum, ba, da, ba, da, ba, da, ah! <laughs> well it's probably not just you because I could only last about 60 seconds before my mind's like really? uh, not comfortable we need to do something about this that could but be because a- you've locked yourself in a tiny panic room like, oh, <laughs> but it gave me the realization that it was only a metaphor for building whatever you needed as a person. Now, some people might build a bar or convert their garage into a boys' room or or, or whatever that might be. Right. Um, and for me, it was converting the room I'm in right now to just my room where I can go and play video games, watch a movie, and have that quiet time you need. Now... You have that space there mm. where there is nowhere for, you know, the, the wife or the child to come in and, and sit down. And, and the same way as here, I, I don't have that ability to, to host people in this room. Right. And I think that's an important thing. Mm. 
No, I get it, and I think I think that's the thing about having that personal space bit as well, because um, it, it, I find it really interesting that you you've been told by your your therapist that that's a good idea, you know, to basically build yourself a little space, so it's kind of a safe space where you can go and ride out your panic attack. Um, because my wife's got one of these um, calendars downstairs in the kitchen that's um, self-help motivational stuff. Now, don't even get me started at all on why um, a self-help calendar seems to be aimed at women rather than at men. But, you know, that's the world in which we're living. And that's why we have man blues, because there's nothing out there for us. Um, Anyway, on this calendar, they're all sort of like meditation tips and all tips about, um, you know, coping with anxiety and all kinds of stuff. And on this month, it says one of the suggestions to do is it basically says for one hour every day, turn your phone off, step away from all your text. So that would include you taking your watch off your wrist, leaving it in a completely separate room and then just doing nothing for an hour now, at first, at first I thought, that's really exciting because, you know, you could sit there and you could read a book and I was thinking, oh, hang on, no. It says do nothing. Just sit there and rest for an hour. So I was thinking, where would I sit for an hour with no tech around me? I haven't got that space in my house because the closest I've got to that is the bedroom because the bedroom is genuine. We have nothing in there except the bed. We don't have a TV in there. I mean, you're not using your bedroom for the actual purpose, right? bedroom <laughs> your, your bedroom is for sleeping or you know for disappointing your wife but <laughs> the point is is that we don't have any tech in the bedroom but if I go in the bedroom to sit down for an hour I'll be ending up lying down and it won't be an hour it'll be three hours and I'll have had a sleep but I think that was a really interesting idea that you know every day one hour just switch off disconnect and you don't really need to be disconnected from tech you just need to be able to disconnect Mm -hmm. and and i think really for you in your world you like you said space is a little bit more of an issue but you have a hard mechanical switch on your desk between work and play Mm -hmm. mine's a different room i've got a room upstairs i work in i don't work in this room Mm -hmm. so for me it's more you know and and what's what i find really interesting um and this is a recent occurrence because i'm gonna end up working from home i have my work set up upstairs Mm. i've started on a friday at five o'clock unplugging it and and it's a symbolic thing i shut down my computer turn off all the monitors put everything nice and tidy on my desk and then i go underneath the desk and pull out the plug there's no reason for me to do that apart from symbolic because everything's off but it's a symbolic gesture that tells me and my brain that work is done. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things that that's one of the things that I've, I've like I said, I've always been really good at. I've always been able to split work and home life. I mean, to the point where I don't think I've ever been that driven. I mean, not to say my career has been terrible because it hasn't. That would be unfair on me. But I've never been that person that has to say, oh no, no, work comes first. Work's never come first. Work has been a means to an end. Work has been putting the roof over my head and putting food in my belly that's what work has been and I'm quite pleased that I haven't because I think if I were to also then be career driven I think it would be uh, it would cause me more problems than it would yeah so I'm quite quite speaking from from my position where I am career driven I look at you and think I just wish sometimes I could be more like you when it comes to work I mean after five o'clock on a Friday you're like not my problem you've already said that work is dead to me (laughs) until no, Monday morning well, 9 o'clock then it's alive for me again I wish I wish that was me <laughs> and I've, I'm doing things in my world to try and make that happen mm. but it's all psychological yeah well I think one of the biggest problems is is that you are and by you I mean everyone is their own worst enemy because you know th- even things you won't tell others but you know the worst about yourself and you will allow yourself to do things you know you shouldn't be doing like in your case you can't say no and in my case um, there's all manner of different things that I do that I kind of when I'm doing them I just think oh I wish I was stronger you know there's a lot of things I've taught myself over the years that I'm really pleased that I've learned how to do and and it slowly seeps through to those people that you know but I think it is basically just in short it is tough it's tough these days and that's one of the reasons behind the idea for the podcast is that you know you and I had that conversation back in 2012 which was eye-opening for both of us because we realized we connected on a on a on a different level now when we met just recently we were fortunate enough that it 
you know, the stars aligned in such a way that allowed me to also um, come down and see you. But the first thing we did when we saw each other is we, we hugged. Now, that to me, it's, for me, it's, it, it's not that it has no meaning, but it has no impact in that I would hug a guy as much as I would hug a woman. It, for me, there's no difference because it's just me showing affection for that person. Yeah, and I thought, it's a symbolic thing at the end of the day. And I still remember the first time we didn't see each other, and this was just after COVID, where that was a little bit more symbolic for me. Mm. The second time it wasn't. But you know the uh, the chap that I was saying, uh, I've known him since I was 16, and we, I wouldn't um, share any sort of intimate details with him. The best I've had from him is a handshake. Now, here's the thing. I've started thinking recently, am I doing him a disservice? Is he perhaps okay with that level of contact but he just doesn't think I am which keeps me coming back to the same point of how it's really difficult to be a man because those are things that are seen as weakness you know kind of like hugging other people showing emotions and rah 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 and you just think well I don't understand why my mum wasn't a hugger at all really wasn't my mum was also wasn't very good at praise and so the first time I got compliments I had no idea what to do and it took my it took my wife to actually say to me she just said just say thank you that's all you need and then when somebody then complimented me and I said thank you it felt fake because it didn't feel that that's what you should do because I'm kind of like this feels weird I don't like the situation somebody's saying something nice to me feels odd so we we went through a training course um, a management training course and part of that training course as a classroom we'd, we'd already been together as a classroom for 12 lessons and one of the things was that we were meant to write down what we thought about the person next to us <laughs> and um, it had to be complimentary and we how much so fakery say, was there though i don't know well i'll explain the scenario so when i say the person next to us person in front person to each side and person behind you so it's four people you have to write a compliment about just you know your time in class together mm-hmm. and it has to be positive but I'm so positive you this a guy pers- was an idiot <laughs> <laughs> There's, there's your challenge right there. So I found that it was really, really interesting because you would get praise from four different people. And the key takeaway from all of that is one person would be praising you and the only thing you were allowed to say was thank you. You had to learn how to take praise. Mm. I think the recognition of being able to accept praise is a good thing to know because then you can give praise. The only problem with that is, and this is something from very recent at work, is that people have, I don't know if it's a a shift in culture or not, or whether it's because of COVID or not, I don't know, but there appears to be a a current shift in the way things are being done at work, in that people are, there's no better way to describe it than backslapping each other, telling each other they've done a great work, you know, great job, well done, fantastic, and isn't that brilliant, and everyone give them a round of applause kind of thing. Now, part of me, is thinking that's brilliant because everyone is undervalued and everyone is under-recognized. We know that. People just don't get the recognition they deserve. That's a given. So I think it's very positive that they're doing this and that they're, you know, they're openly celebrating success. And I like it very much. But on the flip side, I just think it sounds insincere because it's kind of like, oh, everybody say congratulations to Paula because she's just done this thing and everyone goes, congratulations, Paula. Because there's an element of me that, that I, I, I don't think I'll ever be able to shake that my stance at work is I'm being paid to do a job. If my job includes me finishing that project and moving on, if someone then gives me praise for it, I'm just going, well, it's my job, that's all I did. And I've said before that I actually got told off by a colleague um, we had what they call a 360 degree appraisal. So what that means is you get essentially what you've done with your classroom scenario where you've got people in front of you, people behind you and people to the left and right. It's the same thing. The only difference was this was hierarchical. So mm-hmm. I had to request um, feedback from people above me. So managers and manager levels above me, my peers on sort of at my level and then subordinates. What was interesting was when I, when I asked these people all these different questions, and uh, one of the guys, um, he critiqued me for not accepting praise. Because in my mind, all I'd done is I'd provided my specific expertise to one of the guys who was developing something, showed him how to do something, 
he taught himself how to fix it went on to do stuff he would ask me a few questions every now and again I would sit with him for 10 minutes to an hour some days very few very little input from me apart from just kind of oh this is how we need to do it diddly do diddly do there's my expertise bosh done now you can go ahead and do it so he built this system using expertise from my side but not a lot but he built it and this chap said that I don't I wasn't accepting the praise well enough and I was disregarding of my own skills and things and I was like well no because he did the work all I did was show him how to do it I didn't do it and he told me that I need to accept that I need to be part of the team I need to consider myself a valuable asset to that teamwork and I should be celebrating that success and I should be part of that team that's being praised so I was—I struggled to take the praise, and I think that was the interesting feedback I got from that from that um, that 360-degree thing. So, but again, I found it difficult to just cope. I, I don't know where that comes from. I don't know why I would feel that I've got that disconnect between my job and praise for my job, with regards to my own personal mental health. Um, I'm having these kind of crises at the moment, which are sort of like I'm feeling bad about the fact that I'm not doing any exercise, and um, you know, for, for, for one excuse or the other. I was going to say one reason or the other, but it's not reasons; they're excuses. Um, so I'm uh, I'm going to see if I can. I think my bike tire might need some pumping up, but I'm going to see that when I finish work, the first thing I do is I'm going to go into my room. I'm going to put my cycling stuff on, and I'm just going to go out for an hour on the bike. It's a good idea. And I'm going to try and do it every day. And I'm also going to try to reinstate my Monday, Wednesday, Friday walks that I do before work. So I'm going to set my Try, and, and this is something I've been doing, I would say for about a month now, easily, a bit of exercise every day. Hmm. Minimum half an hour every single day. I'm currently on, you know, quite a long streak of um, of weeks. I, I can't need to look at my phone and I, I don't care to do that right now. But I think I'm at least on probably 20 odd weeks now streak of daily exercise wow my model is move more i mean <laughs> eat, uh, the, the motto is eat less move more but my motto is eat the right things and move more so for me it's uh, and, and i suppose it does actually plague me as well because i do have cholesterol issues so you know eating less does mean eating less junk food so eating less in the day, like I probably have breakfast and dinner only now, and snacking through the day isn't something I do. Well, so I'm eating five, less. You should, be, you should be eating five times a day, and it should it should be small and often. Because we're foragers, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. It should be little and often. That's how they're supposed to do it. And another key one is just don't eat after eight p.m. Oh yeah, that's something. Yeah, that's a religious thing for me. Almost. Mm. <laughs> do not eat too late at night. You can have a whiskey. Yeah, yeah, of course. Right, well, that, I think that brings us to an, a, a, a relatively natural conclusion because otherwise we would have carried on talking for a long time. So, Red, I'd like to thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Pleasure and, being uh, here. For opening yourself up to, uh, to scrutiny because, let's be honest, that's kind of what it is, isn't it? Absolutely. Been fun. Been fun.